Let's remain standing. We're going to read our passage uh, right at this moment. Since you're already standing up, I'll spare you the up and down. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, 25. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of, an, one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. You, uh, let's pray. Father, we, we come to you with gratitude that you've not kept yourself hidden from us, but you've made yourself known. You've made yourself known through the things that you've created. We're, we're reminded of that this morning as we, as we sit outside and hear the sounds of your creation um, and, 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 and the smells and the sights. We give you thanks for that. We give you thanks that you've also provided us with your word, that you speak to us and you tell us the good news of your salvation for broken, fallen sinners that's available in Christ. We would not know about, about this were it not for your scriptures. And we believe that there is power in them. And so we pray that you would unleash that power, the same spirit that arrived at Pentecost, uh, in the early church, in Acts chapter 2, that that same spirit would unleash the power of your word this morning upon our hearts, transforming us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's, let's say that we uh, were to go back in time, circa 1995, to a high school uh, just north of San Antonio, called Smithson Valley High. This is my high school. And we were, we were there at 12 o'clock noon. We sat in the cafeteria. We, we surveyed the sights of all these, you know, bustling high school cafeteria. At one table, in one corner of the cafeteria, are a group of guys. They have cowboy boots on, Wrangler jeans. Many of them have these big circle uh, silver, shiny uh, belt buckles. They're not wearing cowboy hats, but they have them nearby because you can't wear them in school, right? And so that's how they look. Now, because of their look, what they're wearing, I could tell you certain things about what they did, behaviors, right? They listen to country music. 
They drove pickup trucks. It was likely that they chewed tobacco. Okay. So let's move down to another corner of the cafeteria. There's another group of, of people. They're in all black, black, dyed black hair. If it's not naturally black, dyed black, black, even black like eyebrows and black lipstick in some cases, black uh, trench coats. They had these black jeans. That, they were called Jinko jeans. I don't know if you remember these, but they're like wearing silos on your, on your legs, these black silo-looking jeans on each leg. And they listened to bands like Slipknot, Corn with a K, Marilyn Manson. And they took a very nihilistic approach to life. They, they believed that we were all just, it was, everything was nothing. And we're just all kind of moving towards this, this black hole of it's just everything's just going to end and we're just going to vanish and there's no purpose to anything. In another corner of the gym were these groups of people that had open flannel, t-shirt, distressed jeans, Doc Martens. They liked to listen to bands like Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden. And I could tell you other things that they did, right? So here's my point, and you, you feel this in high school. What we wear oftentimes is an indicator of what we do. It's like Forrest Gump, right? He said, you can tell a lot by the shoes that people wear, where they're going, where they've been. And it's true of our, of our clothes as well. And what Paul has been saying, he's, he's saying, look, as Christians, as the church at Ephesus, you had a type of clothing that you put on figuratively, right? You put on certain things. Now that you're in Christ, you put on a different set of things. We talked about that last week. Patience, humility, kindness, love. Put those things on. Now when you put those clothes on, you start acting a certain way. And that's what Paul's about to that's what Paul explains in our text this morning. How we ought to behave in light of the clothes that we wear in Christ, in light of the things that we put on. And Paul delivers these things just kind of rapid fire. He's just laying on the imperatives. And so we're just going to kind of hit them one by one. But two words of introduction before we jump in. I want you to notice that the clothes that Paul is asking us to put on enliven us. In some ways, they make a, it, to do what Paul is asking us to do kind of feels like a death to us. But the truth of the matter is this. They make us alive, right? You remember the other clothes that we were wearing? They created a hardness of heart. Remember the, the Greek word was porosis? Like the, the same words he used to describe marble, right? Our old clothes of this world, we were spiritually dead in our hearts. We were like marble. It's like rigamor spiritual rigor mortis had already set, set into our souls, but Christ has made us alive. And the process of doing these things is a continuing uh, process of becoming more and more alive. Okay? Second thing is this. Uh, you, you, may have, uh, you may have enjoyed the live stream, and maybe you're here now with people, and you're like, ooh, this is kind of getting a little uncomfortable. Uh, I kind of like getting my little spiritual booster every week, and, but no people around, so I didn't have to worry about kind of the messiness of of people and community, okay? Paul says here in this passage, the, 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 the assumption is this. Christian formation happens in the context of community. 
everything that Paul is telling us to do depends upon us being with other people. Like you can't, you can't be formed in a Christian way outside of being around people, outside of being in Christ's church. So, with that bit of background, let's jump in. Verse 25, Paul tells us, speak the truth with your neighbor. It's pretty straightforward, right? Be truth tellers. Does this mean, um, but there are some questions that arise. I mean, does this mean that we are to uh, speak um, the truth in every instance, right? There's the classic example of you're, you're, in, you're, you're a German and you're in Germany and you're housing Jewish uh, family in your attic and the Nazi comes knocking on your door asking if there are Jews in your home. What do you do in that instance? Do you tell the truth? Probably not in that instance, right? The Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1, do you remember there? They, they, they lied. <laughs> um, they were commanded to kill the Hebrew male children, and, and they didn't. And they, they covered it up by saying the Hebrew when, ladies, when they're delivering babies, they're fast, and we can't get there in time. So they have these babies, and we can't get there to, to, to kill the babies. And they're commended for that, for doing that. Okay, so there's extreme ex- examples where it may not be the right thing to do to tell the truth. Does, is what Paul's saying, tell the truth in every, tell the truth about everything, just divulge everything? Every little annoyance that you feel towards someone near you, do you say, hey, you're annoying me right now. I got to speak the truth, like that's just how I feel. No. The clue to what Paul is asking for comes in the grounds uh, under which we tell the truth. Look at what is, look again at verse 25. He says, for we are members one of another. It is our corporate unity as one body that is the reason for which we tell the truth. It is in an effort to both grow closer as one, but also to grow up into Christ as one. That, that's, that's the purpose. Think of it this way. Let's say that you have a pain in your gut and, and it is bothering you. Your stomach is telling your brain that you hurt. And your brain knows that when your stomach, when any part of you is hurting, that that is an, an indicator of a problem. That's what pain is. It's indicating some kind of problem. But you don't want to deal, deal with it because you worry. It could mean a lot of doctor visits. It could mean something that you don't want to hear. And so you you suppress that, what your stomach is telling you. you in, in essence, you lie to yourself. And as a result, the problem festers, does it not? Right? And that's, what Paul, that, that's the same image that Paul has, right? We're one body. And so when, when we are hurting because of the sin of another in this body, or, because, or we see the sin of another and it's hurting their family, or whatever it is, Paul is saying, look, speak the truth to one another. You have to. It's how you grow up together. Now, some of you may be, may be thinking, uh, and, oh, let me say this too. This is hard to do. Um, this is very hard. It's much easier for us to kind of put on a smile and a sweet little veneer and how are we doing? We're doing good. But we never, like, there's, we never get into a, a depth of relationship with one another in that instance because it's hard. But Paul says, this is how we grow up in Christ. This is what, when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you take up your cross and follow me. Um, that's the only way to really live. 
That's, this is what he's talking about. This is difficult. But some of you may be thinking, hey, no, I've got, I can tell the truth. Like, I tell it like it is. I'm good at that. I'm a truth teller. Well, slow down. Earlier in the chapter, earlier in chapter 4, Paul says, speak the truth in love. And so if it's your instinct to just kind of say what you think, truthful, Paul would say, say not so fast. Make sure you craft it in love. Think about the other person. Think about how they might feel. Think about how it's going to be received. You, you must take care in how you speak the truth to one another. Next, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Interesting, Paul's not saying don't be angry, right? He's saying when you're angry, don't sin, right? When, you're, when you are angry, don't pick up a rock and throw it into, a, uh, into a, just a, a, a store. Don't start stealing things and putting things aflame. Like that's not righteous anger. There, that's unrighteous anger. It serves no purpose. It's like a little spasm of, of excitement that is, is futile and really creates more anger and more anger. So the church, Paul, Paul is calling us to be angry. We should be angry at injustice. But our anger, especially at systemic injustice as the church, is kind of slow to work itself out. Right? Think, the, the early church, they, they were fed up with, with, with people dying from disease and pestilence. And they hated to see people just left alone and not cared for and not to be loved in their final hours. So what did they do? They began to build hospitals where the sick could be cared for. Christians were angry to see unwanted babies thrown on trash heaps. In the, in the Roman Empire. And so what did they do to address that problem? They built orphanages where they could provide a loving home for these abandoned children. The church, when it saw slavery, the slave trade going on, worked through, this is in England, worked through parliament, patiently, through persuasion, to put an end to slavery, Right? All of it was driven by Christian anger towards an injustice. And that's what Paul is talking about. When John Stott has said the church is not angry enough, that's what he's talking about. Not a spasm, not a fit, but slow working anger that, tries to, that aims itself towards setting wrong, uh, wrongs right. Now, there's another interpersonal anger that's, I think, even dealt with more particularly in our instance uh, and Paul says there, okay, maybe not so slow there, right? Like, don't let the sun go down. If, you've got an, if you're in a little spit or spit spat with your, uh, with your spouse or with a friend or with a sibling, Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it fester inside of you. Deal with it. Deal promptly with it. Doesn't mean literally don't let the sun go down. I, don't, I, I think he's saying deal promptly. Deal promptly with it. Verse 28. Moving right along. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may, get, may have something to share with anyone in need. Now on the face of it, 
you probably think, okay, we got this one taken care of. Like, I've not robbed any banks. I've ne- never stolen a candy bar from a convenience store. I'm pretty good on, on this one, at least. Uh, not so fast. Um, the, the implications of this one are pretty broad. Right? There's a, there, there, have you ever stolen time from an employer? Have you ever been working but not really working? That's a form of theft. Um, there's a whole there's a whole television show based on the prim- this premise, right? The Office, little uh, branch of Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, and all they do is waste time uh, planning parties and organizing ra- runs for curing rabies and pranking Dwight. It's just a waste of time, and and, and Paul is saying, don't do that, like. Let the, this is what he's saying. Let the one who mooches on society become a contributor to that society so that you can help a person in need. Not so that you can accumulate stuff, but so that you can, you can use it to serve others with what you've been given for your work. In verse 29, continuing, Paul returns to speech again, and he says, don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now, the image, um, corrupting, it's, it's, it, you could think of, it conjures up the idea of like rotten fruit. Imagine like an apple tree, and all it does is produce rotten apples. It's no good, right? It just, it grows these fruits, they fall. Nobody eats them because they're rotten, they're nasty. And so they're, they're just left on the ground, and they create this, stinky heap of rotten fruit. And Paul is saying, look, corrupting talk, it becomes toxic within a community. It creates that kind of stinky heap, right? Things like gossip. I've heard um, a pastor liken gossip to um, pornography, saying they're very similar because in both instances, we take an image bearer of God and we extract them from that, and we use them for our own pleasure and delight to share juicy secrets or things about them so that we can get a little rush of adrenaline through the gossip. Um, flattery, another form of corrupting talk. I've heard it said that, that gossip is saying behind someone's back what you would never say to their face, and flattery is saying to someone's face what you would never say behind their back, right? This kind of speech that works itself out in a community, and it wreaks havoc. It creates a rotten environment. Paul is saying, no, don't provide the kind of speech that gives grace, that builds up and not breaks down. Verse 30, all, all of the things that Paul has mentioned so far, are imperatives that kind of determine how we operate on the ground, right? On the ground. And all of a sudden, Paul gets vertical. And look at at what he says, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So how can Paul be talking about these very basic human activities and then all of a sudden jump up to soaring heights, talking about grieving the Spirit? Because what Paul is doing, he's not just giving us, he's not just giving us a good set of practices to live by. He is inviting us into the dance of the universe because at the center 
of the universe. There is a triune God who is living out all of these things amidst himself. Loving, speaking gracious speech. Um, doing all of these things. And Paul is saying, look, that God has taken up residence in you and lives inside of you. And when you don't, when you don't do the things that that God has called you to do, you grate against the spirit in you. You create discord between what, you've, what you're wearing and what's actually, what you're actually doing. It's like, a, it's like the cowboy in my high school cafeteria driving a Mini Cooper, right? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. So you grieve. The contradiction grieves the spirit. Verse 31, Paul says, even more rapid fire, right? Put away bitterness, right? Bitterness is like a resentful spirit that, that refuses to be reconciled, okay? Put away bitterness. Put away wrath. Put away anger. Clamor, right? What's clamor? Clamor is a mob mentality that's like very quick to excite and yell and as we said, like throw rocks into buildings and put things aflame. It's, it's just this chaotic, pointless anger, Anger spasms. Put away clamor, Paul says. Put away slander. Don't speak evil to one another. Put away malice, which is malice is wishing evil upon another. Don't do that, Paul says. Verse 32. Instead, be kind, forgiving. Be like God. Imitate God. Now, again, and this is, this comes up over and over again. This is important. It comes up over and over again because it's fundamental, okay? We don't do these things to earn God's favor. We're not like the insecure child that's like, Dad, do you want me to, do you want me to play baseball or do you want me to play football or do you want me to do piano? Whatever, whatever, whatever I can do to earn your favor. No, you already have the favor of God. You've already are beloved, right? That's what Paul says. As God's beloved, imitate God, right? It's the child that imitates, the, does what the father wants because they're loved by the father. And it's just kind of inevitable, right? The teenagers that are out here, I know right now you're, you're beginning to, to grow a bit, a bit apart, maybe from mom and dad, that mom and dad love you. Sometimes you question it. Why, if you love me, why can't I stay out or do this or do that? But you're starting to pull away a bit, and you want to, the last thing you want to do is like imitate mom and dad, right? But as you get into your 20s, you, you begin to realize, wait a sec, I'm a lot like my mom and dad. Then you get in your 30s, maybe even start having children, and you, 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 your, your child does something, and you, you say something, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just like, that's exactly what my own parent would say. It's inevitable. If we're beloved by our parents, we begin to imitate them. Now, if if you're not beloved by your parents, then you fight tooth and nail to kind of resist the ways of your parents because they did not fulfill their role as as loving parent. But but as beloved children, we we inevitably want to imitate our our parents. So Paul, again, is rooting all of these imperatives into who we are in Christ, which is beloved by God. And finally, he says this, walk in love. Love is the glue, 
that holds all of this activity together. Because we could do a lot of these things, and if love's not there, it's angry. It's not, it, it doesn't have the interest of the other person in mind. We watched uh, quite a few movies uh, this past, during this quarantine, more, more than normal at least. One of the movies we saw was a movie called Seabiscuit. And in the movie, four broken down people and animal, like one animal, a horse and three men, through a variety of circumstances, all convert, their lives converge. One, the, one, one man has been broken because he's lost his only child and his wife has left him. Another man is broken because his, he's a horse trainer and the times have just kind of passed him, right? Model T's don't need to be broken, so he doesn't really have a livelihood. And then a jockey, a young, a young person, has been abandoned. The depression has forced his parents to let him go, and he's been abandoned by his family, and he's dealing with deep, profound um, difficulty. And then there's a horse who had great promise, but just didn't come to fruition. And he's passed around a horse owner. So all of these people come together, and through their relationship, they, they, they love one another. They have a common cause. They're treating each other with kindness. Red, the jockey, has a toothache. And, 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 and Charles Howard, the, the wealthy entrepreneur, just pours out grace to him. Gives him not just what he needs financially for the tooth problem, but gives him way more. And through all of these interactions, these broken people are, are healed. Even the horse is healed. That is what Paul has in mind. That we have come together from different walks of life, different spots. But my expectation is that the Spirit of God that showed up at Pentecost is at work among us. And in the decades to come, he will do a similar work of transformation in our lives. And it's all going to happen as we're together relating to one another in community. Let's pray together. Our Father, we give you thanks for your word. Um, it is lofty and theological in moments, and then within, on the, within a second, it, can, it could switch gears to these very practical things that you're calling us to do, things that um, we ought to do. If, we're, if we wear Christ, we ought to do the things that Christ did. And so we ask for your spirit to help us do just that. We pray that you would help us to minister love to a world that, that needs it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.